So, okay, with that, let's pray, and we'll get into our passage today. Father, we do thank you and praise you for this day. We thank you for your word. I thank you for this letter of Colossians that is uh, just so rich in theology and teaching us about who Jesus is and uh, his relation to us and the world and uh, the, the whole creation. And so, Father, we pray that as we continue our study through this letter, Lord, that you would help us to understand Christ for all that he is. Uh, we pray that you would help us to see his His majesty. Uh, his, he's just, he is everything, Lord. And so we pray that you would help us uh, to align our lives with him. We pray, Father, for those who maybe still have questions and are investigating who Jesus is, that you would help them to connect the dots in a, in a real and a personal way. Uh, Father, we pray that this time in the word would be fruitful. We ask that your spirit would lead us and guide us as we navigate our way through this passage. And it's in Christ's good name, I pray. All right, Colossians chapter 2, verse 6. Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, having been firmly rooted and now being built up in him and established in your faith, just as you were instructed and overflowing with gratitude. Father, we do thank you again for your word. Lead us now. And it's in Christ's good name we pray. Amen. So over the last five weeks, I've really appreciated John's handling of Colossians. I've been super uh, in, encouraged. If I had to sort of recap what I took away just from listening to the sermons, um, I haven't been studying the text, preparing to preach it every week, and there's just something different about sitting through the passage than pre- preaching the passage. And so if I could take away from the last five weeks from John, I've gotten the, just the, the majesty of Christ and his sovereignty, his power, that he spoke all things into existence, coupled with the reality of our intimacy with him, that he uh, shared you know, that fra- the key thought of that Christ in us and that we have this access to him that's just really hard to, to take in. And today as we come to these, these two verses, it's super short. It's, it's a, a transition section. It sort of concludes the thought uh, that started back in Colossians chapter 1, verse 15, and it transitions us into the next section. It really is sort of the key of the context of Colossians. Colossians is this letter that Paul wrote to combat false teaching that was leading the the Christians there astray. Verses 6 through 7, sort of uh, the context of it all, if we were to look at verse 4, we read, I say this so that no one will delude you with persuasive argument. Then you go down to verse 8, See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception, according to the tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of the world, rather than according to Christ. So these believers in this region, they were in the midst of this tug of war. The apostles had come in, they had taught them, they had led them to Christ, they had taught them sound doctrine, and in the midst of this, there were outsiders, the Gnostics were coming in and trying to lead them astray and giving them false doctrine. And so Paul wants them to understand the key to staying grounded. And so today really is that key. And we come to the first word 
therefore. And when we see a therefore in the Bible, what do we ask ourselves? What's the therefore, therefore? It's, the, it's, it's normally a, a turning point. Your, your translation might have a so then, um, so then and therefore, the two words in the English that are used. But it's sort of this, this statement that's saying, okay, based on everything that I've said up to this point or in the immediate context, I'm going to say the next few things. And so we ask ourselves, what's the therefore, in this case, therefore? And I believe we go all the way back to verse 15. You can make a case that you go back even further. But in verse 15, we see, uh, therefore, since Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Verse 16, therefore, since by him all things were created. Verse 17, therefore, since in him all things hold together. This is always one that fascinates me. I'm not a scientist. I didn't even like science as a kid. I think I, I passed science. <laughs> Therefore, are you a science teacher? I think he is. No, no, he's a math teacher. But the second law of thermodynamics is like all things is moving from order to disorder. And like they think aging is the process of like atoms some reason they're holding together and then they stop being held together eventually to where it breaks down. Scientists have seen this at the molecular level and then in the Bible, this is written some 2,000 years ago and he's saying that Jesus is the one that holds all things together. And so when we're done being held together, we fall apart, right? And we go to be with the Lord and it's like, therefore, since in him you're held together, all things are held together. Verse 18, therefore, since he is the head of the church, therefore, in verses 19 through 20, since he has reconciled all things through the cross. Verses 21 through 23, therefore, since you have been reconciled and are holy and are blameless before him. Verse 24, therefore, since Christ is in you. Therefore, when we come to this word, he's going to tell us something. In light of these things about Jesus, he wants us to do some things. Therefore, as you have received Christ, Jesus the Lord, he's writing to an audience that he believes and understands that they have responded to the gospel, that they have responded in faith, they have received Jesus as their Lord. In this phrase, we see Christ, Jesus the Lord. So we see Jesus is his name, Christ is his title, the Messiah is the Jewish variant of that word. And then the Lord is his relationship to those who have responded. And he's saying, you've received this offer. He doesn't force himself upon us. It's this beautiful sort of two-way love that he's, he's moving and trying to draw us closer to him. And somewhere in the midst of his sovereignty, we have this, this ability to reject, which is our default position, or to respond. We're not created to be robots. So I think we've all, during COVID, during the lockdowns, especially like that first, like however many months it was, um, I don't know about you, but there are certain things that I did that I normally wouldn't do. And about the second week of being like twiddling my thumbs at my house, Grace is like, Dad, I really want to watch the Marvel movies. And another family member had just purchased Disney Plus and gave us all like, like sub-accounts and it's like, yeah, I'll watch Captain America. Like, this is, yeah, I'll do it. I've got some time on my hands. So I watch Captain America. I'm like, I kind of like this one. 
I'm like, I'll watch Captain America 2, or it's probably called something else, but in my mind, it's Captain America 2. I get to Captain America 2. I'm like, I really like this one. Grace, I'm ready to go for number three. We start number three, and I'm about five minutes in. I'm like, I feel like I'm missing something. Like, I feel like we, like something's going on. So I text my nerdy cop, a guy that I've done a lot of ride-alongs with, and I say this in love, but I only know because we've been on a ride-along, and there was some guy that was getting, like, uh, I don't want to say harassed. That's bad in today's. Some questions were asked of the guy, and I don't even, I'm going to go into an area that I don't. So there's Marvel, and then there's something else. There's DC. DC, yeah. So there's these two posters, and this cop is like, you can't have both of these up. Like, which side are you on? I'm like, dude, what are you like? What? He's like, this is serious business. This guy can't have a DC poster and a Marvel. I'm like, you are a dork. Like, <laughs> Can we, like, I thought he was joking around, but apparently this is a thing by the people in the audience. And so I decide that I need to text him. I'm like, hey, I watched Captain America 1, Captain America 2, and now Captain America 3, and I feel like I'm not. And he sends me a screenshot of a picture of a flowchart of 23 movies. And I'm like, shut up. Like, you're joking, right? And he's like, no, 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 there's 23 of these, and you need to go back to this one, and you need to, like, circle around, and by the time you get to Captain America 3, like, 17 movies, have, and I'm like, oh. <laughs> so then I'm like, do I tell Grace this or not? And then I, like, she sees, and guess how many of those movies I watched during COVID, and recently, a new one came out, so now I'm committed. And it's like, okay, Grace, we're going to go see this movie. And so we went and saw the movie last week or two weeks ago, and see, some of them I've fallen asleep through, and some of them I've watched, and I, like, it's a, but so if I could summarize this most recent one, it's like a whole bunch of girls are, their minds are taken captive by some guy. And the whole premise of the movie, as far as I can tell, don't correct me if I'm wrong, this is just, I have the stage, I can say whatever I want, is that the whole premise of the movie was to get the antidote to get the girls' minds free. And this relates to this text, because we're not robots. There's something about two-sided love, like this, like the, a person loves an individual, and then the person on the other side can either respond or not to respond, and if the person doesn't respond, it's kind of painful for the person who loves that individual, or if you were in love and then the person falls out of love and depart, it's like painful. And so the scripture sort of paints this picture that God so loved us that he gave his one only son, that God has made this offer. He's given his son. Jesus has gone to the cross. He's died for us. And God, in his sovereignty and his power and his might, could have made us total robots. And he could have just said, no, you're all going to love or selected few are going to love me. And that, that wouldn't really, that, like, it's like, that's not really true, like, love. And I'm not saying that I understand this whole mystery because you can make a case from Scripture that like, clearly God is moving behind the, the background. And, and the way I've come to terms with this in Acts chapter 17, verses 26 through 27, it's, this is like a verse that has made my whole life sort of make sense with like difficult circumstances and things that I've gone through and grappling with coming to faith in Christ. Like, God, if you are a good God and you love me and you care for me, then how is it that I was born into this like super abusive situation and at 11 years old I had to testify against my mom in court and that was the last time I saw my biological mom? Like, how, how can that be true 
if you're a good God and loves me, because if you're a good God and loves me, then that means that our life should be full of roses and nothing bad should ever happen, right? That, that's the logic of the world, that there can't be a God because there's so much bad in the world. And I do think that God gets thrown under the, blood, the, under the bus because humans a lot. It's like a person does something bad and then God gets blamed for it. And in Acts chapter 17, verses 26 through 27, this was like something that really opened my eyes. And we're told this is at Mars Hill. Paul is reasoning with the Greeks and they have all sorts of gods and he finds a little like rock that's a memorial to this God that's the unknown God. And so he goes to them and says, I want to tell you about that God. That's the God I know and the God I'm telling you about. And as he begins to talk, he says that that God made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined their appointed times and the boundaries of their habitation. So we see sort of the the, the predestination of God, the, the sovereignty of God sort of lining everything up. And when I read that, it tells me that I was born in Carmel, California in 1974 under the circumstances with my mom and my dad under the circumstances that I had because God put this all in place. You were born in the time, place, location. You've had the boundaries placed on you. Maybe you've had all sorts of resources at your disposal and and the world has really been your oyster. Or maybe you've had nothing and you've been very limited in what you've been able to do. But we see in this verse that God put this all together intentionally. Going into verse 27 that they would seek God if perhaps they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. So we have this like this sovereignty of God and his like just knowing everything, being in control of everything. He has the capacity to make us robot. He could make us all just respond to him and there'd be no sin. Like he could do that. But he's created in this world that there's this opportunity for us to respond or reject and for the capacity for sin. There's a great risk in what God did, like giving Adam and Eve the capacity to sin was like, we could look at it and go, that was really not that wise of him. Like, why? Look, look at the mess he got us in. But that's the only way that there could be true, like, two-sided love where there's genuine that God loves us and then we respond to reject. And there's something beautiful within this. And so when I take away from Acts 17 verses 26 through 27, and I look at the difficulties in my life, I go, oh, Gunnar was a really hard-headed person. And so God needed to set up my life in a way with these difficulties because it's, it's the only way that I would, in my, like, respond, that I would seek after him, that I would bow my knee to him and, and grope for him which is the word that they use for a blind person with their hands, how they see what you're doing. And I know we, you know, raise here somewhere, like, just, you know, like we ask everybody to turn off their cell phones, but we don't ask people to turn off their bionic man glasses. So for those of you that don't know, Ray's legally blind, but he has these, like, super cool glasses that can read for him and tell him what's in front of him. So when it says... I can't even remember the names of the songs we sing, but like a word comes on the screen and it reads. So it wasn't his cell phone going off. But, it, but it's this picture. God has placed you in the, the time that you were born, the location that you were born. He's given you the resources that you have so that you might respond. He's placed you in this sweet spot to respond, but you still have the capacity to reject him. But it's a beautiful sort of love that God offers us, this intimacy that he has made possible with him. And so Paul 
in this section, he, he understands that the recipients of this letter, that they have responded to God's offer and they, they've received him as Lord. And this is what he's writing about. And so it begs the question, have you responded to God's love? Have you responded to this offer? Have you received Jesus as your Savior? Or are you still auditing Christianity? And if you're auditing Christianity, that's wonderful. We're glad that you're here. Like We want like, people to be able to get their questions answered and to be able to investigate. But there's a real danger if you haven't received Jesus as Lord, and then you continue to read out Colossians, and you get to like chapter 3, where he's very like specific about things that we're to do and not to do, for you as a non-believer then to think that there's an obligation for you to, to be Christian or to, uh, to absorb Christian, uh, the Christian culture in your own life, if you haven't actually believed, that's not what the Bible has asked you to do. See, there's a response. If we've received Christ as our Savior and we've been indwelt by the Spirit, he'll begin to change us and he'll begin to do a work. But so often in our world, especially in American Christianity, we've, by, we've like skipped over that whole step of transformation, receiving Christ, understanding grace. It's not about you doing anything, but transformation comes as, as we've responded. So as we go on, and if you haven't received Christ, I would just encourage you to like, grapple over that question. What's keeping you back from responding to Christ? There's answers out there. There's evidence. There's things. But ultimately, it comes down to faith. And so he goes, therefore, as you've received Christ, so walk in him. This was Paul's prayer back in Colossians chapter 1, verse 10, so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. That Jesus died for you. He loved you. He's done all this stuff for you. There's a, there's, a, there's a response that's worthy. In Ephesians verses, uh, chapter 5, verses 15 through 16, it's one of my favorite verses in the Bible. It says, Therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time, because the days are evil. That our daily conduct should reflect our relationship with Christ. We have this living union with him. Our doctrine or our understanding of who God is, it should affect our lives. Our belief affects our behavior. That's true for everyone. And so if you believe in God and you submit your life to him and you believe that the word of God is true, your life will demonstrate that. If you don't believe in God and you don't believe in some things and you believe in fill in the blank with whatever, your beliefs will affect your behavior. And so our theology shapes our understanding. And he, when he says, therefore, since you've received Christ, therefore, like walk in him, live like you actually believe. And it begs the question, like what role does Jesus have in your life day to day? As you go about your business, do you... Does, does the fact that you've responded to Jesus, does that affect how you interact with your people that you're selling stuff to or whatever your business is? If you've responded to Christ, does it affect how you interact with your spouse? If you've responded to Christ, does it, does it affect how you relate to your children, your coworkers, each other in this place? Like, it should. My prayer is that I want my life to reflect that God is actually Lord of my life. 
Like, I'm a saved sinner. I'm not, I'm not, a, I'm not a, a saved, perfect Christian. That, there, that person doesn't exist. But because of my life in Christ, like, when I fall short in my marriage... Because of my relationship with God over the course of the last like almost 20 years, like I've gotten a lot better at apologizing and humbling myself. Early on, it took a long time, and like it's like, but but it but it should how we interact. Like we're not perfect, but but our relationship with Christ, knowing that we're going to stand before Him at the end of our days, like it should cause us to be quick to say, you know, I'm sorry, I was wrong there. Will you forgive me? The flesh says, like, dig in your heels. You got to be right, even if you're wrong. And so, if the God, if God is the God that the Bible claims He is, then He has a claim in every aspect of our lives. He goes on to say in verse seven, having been firmly rooted. When I read this phrase, I don't know about you. When you when you hear about rooted, if you have some Bible background. Often we go to Psalm 1, the first three verses there, how blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and in whatever he does he prospers. And so there's like do's and don'ts. It says that the man does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. So as followers of Christ, there are some things that we shouldn't do. When I became a Christian, I really had to cut out a bunch of relationships. Like, like I'm, I've now gone far enough that I've been able to like restore some of these relationships. But early on, I had to like cut these relationships out because I didn't have the foundation not to stumble back into sin over and over and over again. And finally got to the point where God so convicted me. He's like, I just need to like take a time out from these friends and focus on God. It says, but his delight is in the law of the Lord and in the law he meditates day and night. I heard somebody, I don't know if I read it or heard it. I don't know where like my brain processes. Like I can listen to a book and I say, I read the book. I, uh, me and my wife can argue about that one later. Although she's given me credit for listening to books. Um, so the spirit has spoken. So they're good. Um, but I heard somebody say uh, that Christians often struggle over like, what is meditation? And they said, if you've ever worried, you know what meditation is. Because when you're worried about something, what do you do? It like, just lays like the ping pong ball that bounces around in your brain. You can't shake it. It's all you can think about. You dwell on it. Well, that's meditation. We're just supposed to put like God's word and like have it going around our brain. And I think Bible memory can do this where we, we place it into our hearts and we dwell upon it. But this picture, you know, lessons from the tree. We live in Valley Center and we love our oak trees, right? We love them. They're like these beautiful, majestic trees. You know, we've been told they have like really deep roots. I've never dug one out, so I don't really know, but I've been told they like whatever the canopy is on top, that's what you see kind of underground. We try to save our oak trees from the beetles and the drought and, you know, like I try to water them. It's like you see any little thing, you're like, oh no, I hope it's not dying. I hope it's not dying. Let's like, what can we do? It's been here for however many hundreds of years. And so there's, there's just, there's something majestic about the oaks. 
And, and that's sort of what comes in my mind when the Bible talks about us, like letting our roots go deep. Now, often when this passage gets talked about through commentators, they often mention the redwoods, which is why I put my family uh, vacation picture. You guys like the picture of my family up there? Did anybody notice that we're in that? Hey, don't go. Stop. Like, go back. Go back. You're ruining it. Ah. All my work. I've been like waiting to do that for. Ah. Now everybody noticed. But my family picture's down there. Five weeks. No, no. Yeah, I didn't say anything, so we didn't talk. So in our last day at Shaver Lake, and that's where John is right now. Do you guys remember a couple weeks ago when John's like, Sunday school's going to start today, and his wife's like, no, 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 it's going to start next week? And he was like, you know that real awkward moment that we all felt? It's his birthday, and they were having a surprise for him. So they were taking him away to Shaver Lake, and he's like, I don't know what's going on, but I like. So it was a surprise, and it's his birthday, so they're in Shaver Lake. And on the last day at Shaver Lake, we were checking out of the VRBO, and, and, and Kathy Johnson said, you guys are like uh, Kathy Johnston, uh, just, uh, she said, you guys are like right by this, this uh, Redwoods forest. And I'm like, oh, that's great. That's something we'll go do. And so we drove by the Redwood forest. And it's amazing. Like, it's amazing. Like, there's no way a pitcher can take it all in. And because Redwoods keep getting talked about in this passage, just where we are, like having been firmly rooted, a bunch of guys are like, oh, Redwood roots. It's like so deep to take this out. Do you guys know that redwood oats, roots, <laughs> redwood roots are not deep at all? Redwood roots are only six to twelve feet deep. So I just want okay. Now you guys go. Let's go to the next slide. There's my family that you guys didn't see. Um, so we'll call Anna. We'll bump her up to six feet. We can do that just to like. <laughs> So just kind of take a picture where she is. Okay, go to the next slide. No, no, okay, so this is the root system. I forgot my slides. So oh, redwood oh, root, ugh, redwood, this, I didn't realize this is going to be a tongue twister. Redwood roots don't go deep. They go 6 to 12 feet down, but they interlace with one another, and they so tangle up that that's where their strength comes from. And when I look at this passage, and I think about the last year, and I think about the importance of being together, I think that we always go to like the oak with the deep roots. But the Bible doesn't really describe the type of trees. But when you look at various sort of things, how the roots intertwine, I think there's a powerful lesson for us as Christians that we can draw also from the redwoods that's a little bit deeper, different than going deeper. Like I think we can draw applications from going deeper and getting grounded in the Word of God. But I also think there's something neat about the idea that roots also get their strength from other roots and being so twisted up and tangled, especially when I look at the Greek, I think I can make a stronger case for this than I can for oak. And it's in the English, having been firmly rooted. So when we read this in the tense is something that happened past tense, relating back to like when you accepted Christ that you were grafted into the family of Christ, that you were planted in. And I think as a new believer, one of the most important things you can do, and for an old believer, whatever that means, is that we get grafted in with one another and that we share life and we get involved and we participate in various things and then we, we become a part of each other. 
And so if you're a new believer, but you get planted and your roots get placed in around trees that have been around a while, there's stability there, there's wisdom there, there's, there's navigating life there. So we can go to the next picture. So just to, like, look at that tree. Like, I don't even know how tall that tree is. But if we're calling Anna, like, six feet, like, I'll call that six feet. That's probably, like, three feet over her head. I flip it up. So we're like that. Like, like the roots only go down to, like, there, which is crazy. Like, it's that those majestic things find their strength for hundreds of years because, not because of the depth, but because they're so intertwined with one another that there's protection there. So having been firmly rooted and now being built up in him, and so we get this present tense, this active, now that you've been planted in the body of Christ, there's this building project. This metaphor is sort of like the, the, the building of a building going up sort of brick by brick. And now being built up in him, planted things are supposed to grow and flourish. Um, when everything is going right, it goes really well. I talk about the people who have like, talk with people in Valley Center who have like avocado trees and you find an avocado farmer. I'm looking at one like, if you make the mistake to ask him about the soil, <laughs> you're going to hear about our soil. Too much acid, too much salt. You really need to drown the water. You need to get the salt ring to go, go up, right? Salt ring is a, like, so there's all of this stuff and then if you, like, with the oak trees and you start seeing, like, we had our trees trimmed and the one guy's like, oh, you got a dead tree, but he was talking about some other tree and I thought he was talking about the oak and I'm like, no, 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 no. Like, go talk to me about the tree. And he kept walking. I'm like, no, no, I thought you were talking about this one. And he's like, well, I see some concerns here because it's bleeding. And I'm like, wait, my tree's bleeding. How do I make it stop? He's like, well, you got to call a guy. And I haven't called a guy. So I don't. But it's like, we're concerned about, like, little beetles getting into the bark and we're like, like, you can have good roots, but, but, but pests can get in there, and there's things that can cause harm. And Paul is concerned about pests and things getting into the bark of their faith to lead them astray, to bring shipwreck on their faith. And he's saying, you've been planted deep. Now be built up in him. And so in Christ, like we saw in Psalm 1, there's the don'ts, and then there's you know, just avoid certain things. If you're, if things are causing you to sin or people are causing you to sin or music you're listening to or TV that you're listening to, or if you're clicking on your computer and you're going to places that you shouldn't be going, stop it. Get those things out of your life. And then put in things that are positive, that we know being in the word of God, even if it's just reading like one verse a day, if you can just wake up in the morning and read one verse and then dwell upon that verse and think about that verse through the day, we can pray for one another. We can gather together things like dinner aids, things like going to Bible trivia. Being around each other is critical because our roots are getting intertwined and it may seem silly. Like, Gunnar, you're telling me if I go to Debbie's house and I eat some hot dogs tonight, that that's going to grow my faith? It's going to grow more than just your faith. (laughs) But it's like just rubbing elbows and being there because certainly life is going to happen. And when life happens and you have roots and you're connected, your brothers and sisters in Christ are going to come around you. You're going to have family. 
So I think it's a spiritual discipline for us to grow our roots so that we would continue to grow. If you don't do anything, I spent a lot of time in boats and in the water, whether it was surfing or kayaking or whatever. If you don't do anything, you drift. The other day or other week, Don asked, he's like, oh, I just went down to the beach and I noticed there were surfers there and like, what's going on with them? Do, can you just sit there and... You, and it's like, no, 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 no. Just to sit in the right spot is like, that's like 90% of the job is making sure you don't drift. Because if you just paddle out, you're either going to end up like five miles out at sea or you're going to end up way down the beach or you're, you're not going to be in the right spot. And if you think that you can just come to Christ and re- receive Christ and not do anything, what's going to happen is you're going to drift. And so there are things that we need to do to stay grounded. I, we don't have time, I don't think, to go into John chapter 15. But the first 11 verses of John chapter 15, Jesus talks about that he is the vine and the vine dresser. And basically the thrust of that passage is that we as his children need to abide with him. We need to stay connected to him. Because if you don't, you're going to drift and you're going to die and you're going to meander down the path and you're not going to sure what happened to your faith. I fear that through COVID, this has happened to a lot of people who claimed Christ as their savior, that they stopped gathering and they started saying, well, meeting online is just the same. It's not the same thing. Like we are called as believers to gather, to be connected, to spur one another. And in Hebrews, that word spur, it literally means to kick each other in the rear to like agitation, to prompt one another that we would continue in the faith, that we would be concerned about one another. It's the beauty of being at a small church. You don't show up. You're going to start getting texts and calls from all kinds of people. It's like, oh man, everybody's like, and not because we're legalistic, because we care about you. And established in your faith. This is like a legal term. Like there's something that God is doing to establish one's faith. And I think that the this kind of goes to like the basics. As you do the basics and practice the fundamentals and you just are disciplined in being faithful and walking, you're going to see God move. And as you see God respond to little things, your faith is increased, and then you can trust him for bigger things. Um, I mentioned Chris in the accident, and I have his permission to kind of share about the next few things that I'm going to share. This whole thing about being like, rooted, grafted, consistent, being a part of the body and growing, focused on Christ. I had to go to my dad's house. It was way later than I wanted to go, but my dad needed something. And so I turn, I go up the grade. As I'm going up the grade, I can see that there's an accident. And I see Chris and Karina sitting by the thing. And I'm like, okay, well, I can't text while I'm driving down the grade or I'm going to create a double thing and And so then I eventually text him, and I didn't really hear back from him, but then I'm hearing from Anna, who talked to Christina, and Christina had heard from Robert, who I love. Where's Robert? Robert. Who here can tell me what Chris's car looks like? (laughs) Robert can. (laughs) Like, I can't. Robert is going to Bible study on Tuesday night. He sees Chris's car. He knows it's Chris's car. Robert talks to everybody coming in. Robert asks questions. I ask questions. I don't remember the questions I asked, nor do I remember the answers I got. But Robert somehow can process and file them away. 
He sees it's Chris's car, so he calls Christina or texts her or something and says, pray for Chris. He was just in a car accident. So by the time I'm getting around this, the information is coming because Robert saw all of this stuff. It's beautiful. And then I'm talking to Chris. And as he's having to go back to urgent care and ER and try and, like, the process of having seizures, it's not a, an easy thing to come out of. He's texting me, and he's like, I just need prayer because, like, I've done a lot of stupid things in my life. And I was like, amen, brother. You're in good company. Like, what are you like? And he's like, I don't know if God's, like, testing me now that I'm stepping out, or I don't know, like, if this is a part of punishment. or And, like, navigating that whole thing. But because he's rooted, I have this relationship with him. Because he's rooted, Robert notices him. Because he's rooted, I can share this, and you're all like, I know who he is, and like, how, like I'm certain that from this is, how can we help? It's so important that we grow and stay connected that we stay connected to Christ, that we stay connected to his word. This is why on Sundays, this isn't a time for me to give pep talks. This is a, a time for us to go through books of the Bible and cover passages, whether easy or hard, because we need to stay grounded. So established in your faith, just as you were instructed, they were taught sound doctrine. They had it. They needed to cling to it as they had the truth of God's word from the apostles and early church. They needed to stay connected to the teaching. If we stay connected to God's word, if we understand grace, if we understand the the essence of what the Bible tells us, we're not going to be led off course by other groups that aren't about grace, that aren't about the truth of God, but they come in and they look really good. They sound really slick just as you were instructed. Stephen Cole says this, here Paul may may be looking at the growing assurance that we gain as we grow to understand the irrevocable truths of God's word. You learn the guaranteed promises that God has given to us in Christ. Your growing knowledge of sound doctrine protects you against the many winds of false teaching that blow others off course. To go on with Christ you must make a deliberate effort to be established in the faith. It doesn't just come naturally. Then he goes on to say, and overflowing with gratitude, which is just so odd. Like he's saying all of this stuff, and then the fruit of this being rooted, being uh, grounded together, following in the instruction, that the, the, the fruit that matriculates in your life it's thankfulness. It's, it's beautiful. Another author says this, life with God will help me learn to be grateful for imperfect people and imperfect circumstances. Our job is not to try to feel grateful, as so many people do. Gratitude is the byproduct of a spiritual reality. As we train ourselves to live in this reality, our job is to place our minds in the presence of God and to surrender our will. Then we will remember and pray, God, you're right here. And we don't carry the weight of the world on our shoulders. Thank you, God, that we get to be alive. Thank you that we have bodies. Thank you for this world. Thank you for Jesus. 
there is so much we can learn about this. As we traverse this life and we go through the ups and downs, if we stay focused on the right thing, the right fruit will come out of our hearts. And so what are you focusing on? If you focus on politics, if you focus on the news, if you focus on COVID, the vaccine, the whatever, like fill in the blank with everything, what's going to result, the fruit in your life, is going to be fear, worry, anger, frustration. But if in the midst of this turbulence world, you're keeping your eyes on Christ, being in his word, focusing on the truths that we have there, what comes about is joy, trust, gratitude. Which fruit is being produced in your life? And my prayer is that we would be a congregation of people that are so focused on God that what produces itself is gratitude. And any time that this comes up, I always want to sort of open up to you, and it's always sort of shy, like people are shy and stuff. But I just want, like, just popcorn style, you know. What's something you're thankful for? This isn't a rhetorical question. This is a literal question that you can just shout it out. Did I hear it? Family. Okay. Don't be shy. Or you guys are going to fail this big sermon test. Come on. Like, we got things we're thankful for. What's that? Health. Job. What, jogging? Jogging. This church. Melanie, you moved your hand. What? Friend. God, I heard. Food. Amen. What else? We got that Landon. People. Brian. Hearing. Amen. Hilda. Your husband. Is your hand up? Your mic. Your hand is like up. What? Amen. Rick. Bacon. Bacon. I love it. <laughs> Music. Wait, Landon, you already went over here. Amen. Today's our Joel. Flowers. Flowers. You going to buy me some? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> You're getting some for Judy on the way home. <laughs> Stephen. Gatherings. Gatherings. Noah. Bible study. Bible study. Amen. Larry. God's discipline. That's a rough one to say thankful for. Men's prayer group. You touched your mouth. No, no. <laughs> Eyes. Hilda, are you ready? Me. Oh, thank you. I like, I'm thankful for you, too. Was that one back there, Brandy? No. <laughs> Friends. Freedom. Amen. Okay, so what do we do with all this? We've kind of torn this apart, and I, it's always good to go back to the text. In the midst... In the midst of these two verses, we find ourselves wedged between don't, don't be deluded, which means to be let off course. Don't be held captive with your minds going off course. And in the midst of this, the way to stay focused and not to be led astray, Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 through 7 in the New Living Translation. And now, just as you accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord, you must continue to follow him. Let your roots grow down into him and let your lives be built on him. Then your faith will grow strong in the truth you were taught and you will overflow with thankfulness. I want to end with a quote from Charles Swindoll and he writes, the Christian life is a growing up in Christ. The Christian life is a life of growing up in Christ, not just growing old on earth. 
The Christian life is about maturity, not longevity. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you and praise you for this day. We thank you for your love for us. We thank you for your mercy, for your long-suffering with us, Lord. We thank you that you are a God of many, many chances. We thank you that in our imperfection, in our sin, in our rebellion, you continue to pursue us. You continue uh, to pour your love upon us. Lord, just waiting for us to respond to you. And so we thank you, God, that you uh, in our response have exchanged our lives for Christ, that his blood has washed us pure. Father, I pray that you would free us in Christ from the burden and guilt and shame of our past, the things that we've done that haunt us, that make us feel uh, less than worthy. We thank you that our worthiness is based on what Jesus has done for us. We ask that you would help us as a church to stay rooted in you, that we, our lives would be built uh, by you, Lord, brick by brick. Father, help us to produce the fruit in our lives of gratitude, that we would just be a thankful people. We live in a world that is so bogged down with uh, complaining and fear and griping, and it's, it's just, it, it can be really discouraging. And so, Father, I pray that you would help us to keep our minds on you and your truths. We thank you that you are sovereign. We thank you that you are in control. We thank you that you hold the world in your hands. We pray that you would help us just to abide in you. We love you, Father, and it's in Christ's good name we pray. Amen.